This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, uh, we would like to first of all welcome uh, Torah Anytime uh, to our class, camera, and everybody who is here. There, a very, very important topic uh, today, which is baseless hatred, the, the, which is really the fundamentals of why the, the second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. So, the, this coming Sunday, right, 2016, is going to be a fast day. Now, there, uh, the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, there was a few, there was five things that happened actually in the Jewish, uh, popu- in the Jewish nation that it was recorded, and then we'll see some things that happened later on in history as well. Uh, first of all, it, the, our, our forefathers were banned from going into the, into Jerusalem, into, sorry, into Israel. They were not, they were banned from going into Israel. The second thing is that the first and the second temple was both destroyed on the same day, right? Which clearly screams out, no way a coincidence, right? What is the chances that, 400 years, more than 400 years, we're talking about almost 500 years, a different, you know, later, on the same day, the, both, tem- both, uh, uh, temples were destroyed. And, uh, the fourth and fifth was Beitah, which was a city in, in Israel, was, uh, captured and slaughtered and was completely also on the, on Tisha B'Av. And it happens to be that throughout history, Tisha B'Av is not usually a good day for the Jews in Mazal-wise, luck-wise, right? And if you realize, if you go through history, in 1290, the expulsions of Jews from England was also on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. In 1492, the expulsion of Jews from Spain also happened in Tisha B'Av. And the more recent one, in the ninth of Av, in the year 1942, the Nazis uh, began a mass deportation of 300,000 Jews to, uh, um, to a ghetto, Treblinka, which was an extermination camp. Um, so... Did, good things did not really happen for the Jews on Tisha B'Av. So, we have to figure out what was going on. What is the fundamentals? What really happened that made our this destruction of the Bet HaMikdash? So, the first, we have two Bet HaMikdash. The first one was destroyed, why? Because of idol worship, murder, and sexual morality, right? Pretty big sins, right? In fact, those are the big three that if somebody points a gun into your head and says, listen, I want you to commit these things. I want you to murder somebody or I kill you. You're not allowed to get, you're not allowed to, um, murder somebody else. If somebody puts a gun to your head and says, I want you to serve this idol, you cannot serve this idol. Rather, you have to get killed. And the last thing, if somebody says, you know, I want you to commit adultery or the uh, sexual immorality, you're not allowed to commit it unless, uh, and, and you have to get, uh, uh, killed. Right? So, these are the three biggest sins, and it says that that's what they committed, and that's why it destroyed the first Bet HaMikdash. The second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, and by the way, how long was the first Bet HaMikdash destroyed for? 70 years. Right? Roughly 70 years. So, actually, no, it is exactly 70 years. So, the... No, it was, uh, no, no, it was destroyed, which means it's from, from, uh, yeah, it was 400, there were each like 410 and 420, 420 years, but the actual destruction between the first and the second was 70 years. And, uh, it was again destroyed for the three big ones. The second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed for baseless hatred. Sinat Chinam. Sinat Chinam, and the Gemara learns from this in Gemara Yuma, that says that, how long was the second Bet HaMikdash destroyed? It's still destroyed today, right? We're going close to 2,000 years without a temple. So the first Bet HaMikdash was destroyed 70 years, for 70 years, for those three things. For 2,000 years now, we still have, we still don't have it to show you the, the severity of the sin of Sinat Khanam. Now, there's many people that ask and be like, how can you compare the two? How can you tell me that baseless hatred is worse than murder, idol worship, and sexual morality? It makes absolutely no sense. If somebody goes and somebody murders somebody, they have capital punishment, right? If somebody goes and hate somebody really, really bad, like, oh, like, I really hate this person, right? There's nothing, there's no punishment that the Bedin does, right? The, the court doesn't make any, any specific punishment. Oh, and uh, I'm sorry, I forgot, we're learning the Fuash Namala, Sabina, Bina Bat Melvari. I'm getting the name as we go on, better. But Zat Hashem, by the time I get it good, she'll be healthy, she won't need it anymore. So, uh, okay, so, 
there was also something very interesting that the, the first Bet HaMikdash, the prophet prophesied to let us know when this, when it, when the redemption is going to come. So, for example, it told us that the Bet HaMikdash was supposed to be destroyed. It says, don't worry, it's going to be 70 years, and then we're going to have, an, then we're going to have the redemption. Then there is going to be, then there is going to, uh, the second Bet HaMikdash, we don't know. We don't know the actual date of redemption. Right? And the reason for that is, is that the three sins in the first Bet HaMikdash, it was sins that were outside. Murder, idol worship, and sexual morality were all outside. The sin of the second Bet HaMikdash was inside. Basis hatred. It's something that we hate internally. Something that we hate internally, being that it was inside, hence we don't know the, the, the date of the redemption. Okay, so that was just a, a little bit of an introduction. But now I want to go into why, uh, what, what, hap- what actually happened in the second Bet HaMikdash. So the Gemara Gitin brings a story, a very famous story of, of Kamsa and Ba Kamsa, which I want to uh, um, speak about. The story of uh, Kamsa and Ba Kamsa was the, this was where Jerusalem fell, which is where, I'm sorry, the, the, the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed for this story. So there was once a person by the name of uh, Kamsa, and he, and there was another person by the name of Ba Kamsa. And if you realize, the names are very, very similar. And he, there was once a very wealthy person that his friend was Kamsa, and he had an enemy, Ba Kamsa. And he was making this party, so he wanted to go and invite his friend, Kamsa. And the servant who went to invite all the friends, he accidentally, instead of inviting Kamsa, he invited in friend, he invited his enemy. And his enemy took it as like, alright, listen, maybe he wants to make peace over here. So, you know, why not? I'll come to this party. So he shows up to this party and he sits down. And the host, the wealthy, the wealthy Jew looks at him and he says, he says, how did this guy get here? This is, this, are you serious? This guy? And he goes over to this guy, he, uh, his enemy, and he says, uh, get out of my house. What are you doing over here? And he says, uh, you might have invited me over here. What do you mean? He's like, no, 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 there was no invitation over here. It must have been a mistake. I want you out. And the guy, so the guy said, listen, you're embarrassing me. You know, just let, do me a favor. Let me stay. I'll pay for whatever I eat. And the host said, no, 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 you're not paying for nothing. You're getting out. And he's making a bigger scene. And then suddenly he's like, all right, listen, you know, you're really, really embarrassing me over here. I beg of you. I'll pay for half your, your, uh, your uh, expenses. Everything that you threw for this huge party, I'll take half the expenses. And the host said, I don't want you. I don't want your money. I want you out. And finally he said, listen, I'll pay for the whole thing. Just please don't throw me out. You're embarrassing me in front of the whole community. He says, please don't do this to me. And he says, he forcefully took him and threw him out. Threw him out of, out of, his, uh, um, out of his party. This uh, guy gets up and he starts thinking, he's like, there was a bunch of rabbis in this party. They didn't say anything. There were a bunch of Jews over here. They didn't say anything, you know? So he says, I'm going to take revenge on them. And he goes over to Rome and he goes over to Rome. He says the Jews, they were under, uh, at that point, under Roman uh, power, which means that they kept on, you know, even though they, they ran their things more or less independently, but they still paid taxes to Rome. And uh, for the big part of the second Beth Mikdash, they were under the Roman rule. So they go, he goes to the, to the Roman emperor and he says, the Jews are rebelling against you. And the guy, Roman Emperor, says, uh, I, I don't see that. Do you have any proof of that? He's like, yeah, sure. Send them a sacrifice and see that they're not going to accept it. Right? Back then, they were, if the non-Jews were able to bring sacrifices to the temple. So he says, no problem. I'll send, I send sacrifice all the time. I'll send the sacrifice. He sends a, he sends a very nice choice uh, calf, and he sends it with them to back to Jerusalem to get the sacrifice. And while all the guards were sleeping that were guarding this uh, sacrifice... This, this Jew goes and he, he makes a little blemish on the, on the lip or some say on the eyelid. Something that a blemish, it's gonna be a blemish for a sacrifice for the Jews, but for the non-Jews it's not a problem. They don't consider that a blemish. And if you can't bring a blemished animal up to the, uh, Koban. So, they continue on the way, nobody knows they did anything, and they bring it to the, uh, Bet HaMikdash. They bring it into the Bet HaMikdash and they inspect it and they see that there's a blemish in it. So, the rabbi says, Rabbi Zahaya said, listen, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, we can't sacrifice this. It has a blemish. 
So the other rabbi said, listen, maybe we should sacrifice it because it's going to cause a lot of problems. It can be Who knows what could happen with it if we don't sacrifice it with the Rome? So the rabbi, the, the, the rabbi said, no, no, no. We don't, this is the rule. We stick by the rule. So he says, so, all right, so let's at least kill the messenger so he doesn't go and tell on us that we didn't do it. And he says, what, you're going to kill somebody for bringing some uh, uh, incorrect sacrifice? That's not the law. And he says, you don't kill him. Rather, go tell him to go, and he should go tell Rome with the, the real uh, ex- reason that happened. And they send him back. And they send him back, and basically he says, they didn't, he didn't, you know, he said, they didn't accept your sacrifice. This uh, emperor at that time was Emperor Nero. Nero took his offense, and he said, there must be rebellion against me. And he sent over another, uh, uh, you know, another, a... Uh, what do you call it, uh, a general, also by the name of Nero, to go and, and uh, take, all, take over, basically distinguish the revolt that he thought was happening, the, that they were overthrowing Rome. So he sends over him with, with, uh, you know, with a bunch of soldiers. And meanwhile, the, the, the general that he sends him with was, you know, was very scared about the Jewish God because you know, the Jewish God was, was strong. Right? And everybody knew the Jewish God was strong. There was miracles all the time in the Beth HaMikdash. Everybody was well aware of it. So he takes an arrow and he starts pointing it. He shoots it in all directions. Right, And any direction that he shoots the arrow, it falls to the direction of Jerusalem. So he took it as a sign that he should go and he should you know, basically kill and destroy and conquer Jerusalem. And then he goes and he goes. He sees a little uh, uh, boy and he says, "Oh, what did you learn in the in this in the Torah and this? Uh, you know this." And he says, "You know the people that go against the the God's people, God is going to go take revenge against him." So this uh, this uh, general, this general Nero said, "You know what? He is going to God is sending me to destroy his children. Then who is he going to punish? He's going to punish me." It's like I don't want a piece of this. No, thank you. He this general go resigns his position and he goes and he converts to Judaism. And actually, a Tanah Rabbi Meir came from him from him. Right, big big rabbis came from this general. Right, Bobby Mayo was uh, um, was a genius of a genius. He came from converts, right? He was in the Mishnah. So he, the Emperor Nero, now sees that you know he lost a general. So he goes, and this time he sends somebody by the name of Vespasian. I think that's how you pronounce it, Vespasian. He sends with him to uh, to go and battle the the Jews. He sends with him sixty thousand Roman elite soldiers to go fight against the Jews. And uh, uh, the 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 Jews, as as he went up north, he came from down north. As he went up north, he completely demolished every city without any problem, without any revolt. Right? There were a few people that it, you know. I, I would love to to go into the actual story, but I'm gonna have to give you a very bridge version because I actually want to go to the base. Hatred part, but um, there, were, there were there were Jews that wanted to fight. There were Jews that wanted to fight against Rome, and there were Jews that said, "No, no, no we don't want to fight." And as he was, as this emperor was was um, progressing onto the onto, onto Israel and, and demolishing everything that he saw, people sort of convened into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a, if you ever been, anybody here ever been to Israel, you know, in Jerusalem, in the old city, you still see wall. Right, and you can even walk across, which is really cool. You can walk across the wall, right? And that wall, if you can imagine, there's no helicopters, there's no airplanes, there's no. That's a very, very uh, good defense against any army that's trying to invade against them. So they all centered into Jerusalem, and they all, you know, basically focused over there. Now, in Jerusalem, they had all the all the Jews that were able to escape went into Jerusalem because they knew that was a fortified city. Now, in Jerusalem, with all the Jewish people in there, there were three extremely extremely wealthy Jews. They were so wealthy that with their resources in Jerusalem, they were able to sustain the entire Jewish population for 21 years without any problem. So, for example, if there would have been a siege around, which there was, around Jerusalem, they wouldn't have been a problem. They had enough food to survive and, and resources, wood, everything, they would have had enough to survive for 21 years. That just shows you the, the, the amount of uh, wealth that they had. And these two, three people, their names are Nakdimon, Ben-Gurion, Ben-Kalva, Savua, and Ben-Tzitzit. 
and uh, uh, the rabbis were were saying, you know, let's go make peace with the Romans. Why do we got to fight? It's not, it's not gonna, we're not going to win against them. You know, the rabbis foresaw it, and they said, we're not going to win it. And then there were other people that were fighting against them. Some, you know, if you if you read, like, history books, it depends if it's Jewish. Some of them, uh, they'll classify them as zealots. Uh, some of them as the rebellion. Some of them actually classify them as terrorists. Because they, you'll, we'll soon see a lot of Jews died by the hands of Jews. A lot of Jews died, more than, more than by Romans, by the hands of Jews. And the people that wanted to fight were so, they were so hungry for blood. They said, no, 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 we're going to fight and we're going to beat the Romans. That they, they, and the rabbi said, no, 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 we're not going to do it. That they forced, they twisted the hand that we need to fight. And how did they twist the hand? They burnt all the resources that we had. All the things that we had for 21 years, they burnt it down to the ground. Which means that now we can't. We can't sit back. Now we have to fight. And anybody who opposed them got killed. It wasn't like, you know, well, you know, I really don't like this. I'm going to go to the other side, you know, and you have the Republicans and the Democrats. This one wants to fight this. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? Whoever didn't listen to them got killed. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. They had resources enough to support everyone for 21 years, including food. Food, yes, including food. So they had probably farms and animals that. Yeah. They had, yeah, they had, uh, again, because they needed, in the, in the Bet Migdash, every day you had a Koban Tamid, which means there's two animal sacrifice every single day. And a minimum, you know, besides all the extra sacrifice. And they had all that and more. And, uh, uh, again, the, the, the old city, like we know then, there was a few walls in the old city, right? And the, the Roman, they broke, you know, through the walls. So, where, I don't know if the, you know, the, the amount of size that we have the old city today, I don't know if it correlates to the actual size of the city that it was back then. But regardless of whatever, whatever it was, it was, very, very heavily populated. Even before everybody went into there, it was extremely, extremely populated. So, he, uh, meanwhile, there was a lot of fighting going back and forth, and the scene, if you read any of the history books, it is, it is, you know, the, people don't realize how bad it was, and that's why people can't can cry on Tisha B'Av. If you read the story, there's no way that you're not gonna cry. There's no way that the amount of suffering you see, the amount of murder that went, if Jews escaped, the Romans took them and they used to crucify them, but not like in a regular way, cause they didn't, they, they wanted to keep their wood. They used to put tons and tons of bodies on one cross. And tons and tons of, and they used to do it in all these weird ways. And the, the Jewish people, when they saw somebody escape, they crucified them also, on the walls on the outside. Right? It was death on both, on all sides. And who was escaping? Other Jews? Yeah, yeah, Why? Jews. Why? Because they wanted to fight. And they said, if you're going to go outside and you're trying to defect, you're trying to go and, and go, surrender yourself to the Rome, then you're not part of us. And then we're gonna, you know, they didn't want any of that. They basically scared everybody to, into fighting. And uh, um, so, meanwhile, while it was happening, there was a big rabbi there by the name of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He had a nephew who was one of the heads of this rebellion, revolt, or whatever we want to call them. And he goes over to them and says, listen, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to kill Jews? How long are you going to do this? Let's just go and, and end this. And he says, the nephew said, listen, what can I do? He says, if I say anything, they're going to kill me. I can't say anything. So the rabbi says, uh, let, let me go out. Let me go out and speak to the Roman uh, uh, general, which at this time was Vespasian. So he said, there's no way you can't, you can't go out. So he says, the only people that were able to go out is if they were dead. So the nephew told him, he says, this is what you should do. Pretend that you die, and when you die, you have to put a lot of uh, dead meat, like dead animal meat, in your coffin, and have your students carry you out, right? Because you could tell a dead body is heavier than a live body. So he says, have your students carry you so nobody else will carry you, and go out and say, listen, we just need to bury, we're just going outside the city to bury our, uh, you know, our, you know the, our rabbi. And uh, at this point in time, the story the the Romans were, came all around. They were they already placed a siege on uh, on Jerusalem. So they go in, and he says, um, and they he does according to plan. And meanwhile, he they take him out to the gates, and the, the gates were guarded by these rebellious uh, you know people that wanted to fight. And they said, who's going? Who's in there? He says, oh, it's a dead body. It's a rabbi. We want to go out to bury it. And he says, all right, no problem. Let's just stab it to make sure that it's dead. 
And he says, listen, the Romans are going to say you're going to stab your rabbi? And they basically said, okay, fine. So they let him go. They put him outside in the coffin, outside the walls, and they walked away. Right? Later, when nobody was looking, but however it was, he was able to get up and he ran over to the, um, to the Roman general in charge of Vespasian. And he tells, when he sees, when he meets Vespasian, this rabbi meets Vespasian, the, the, I hope I'm pronouncing it right because I'm saying it so many times. I am? Okay, good. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll get an email. I'm like, what was this? What was that? There are always people that comment, right? They don't listen to the class, but they comment only on the, on the parts that, well, you didn't pronounce this right. Like, that's the only thing you got in it, out of it, the whole class. You only figured out that. So, uh, in any case, whatever. Let them complain. At least they listen to that class. So, uh, they, he, he goes out there and he says, peace unto you, emperor. So this general says, um, first of all, I should kill you for two reasons. Number one is I'm not emperor. How do you call me emperor? Number two, if I am emperor, and if I deserve being emperor, then what took you so long to greet me over here? So the rabbi says, he says, you have to be, there, Jerusalem is not going to fall only to somebody who's on a high standard, who's like very, very high, a king. Right? He says, you come and you're going to conquer Jerusalem. It's only going to fall if you're a king. And he says, why didn't I come earlier? He says, I couldn't come earlier. He says, I tried to. And he explained to him what was going on over there. The Jews don't let us leave. They, they, were, they completely had us uh, surrounded. So while he's talking, during that, there was, a, there was a runner. Back then, they were called runners. They were like basically messengers. Right? They would give messengers. So a runner came. And he says, uh, you know, everyone rise for the new emperor of Vespasian. He says, the other emperor passed away, whatever died, and, and you are appointed the, you know, the new emperor. And he was so impressed with the rabbi that he knew this information before anybody else did. And he says, because of that, I'm going to grant you three wishes. Right? Not like a genie three wishes, you know. It was like a genie of three wishes, but it was, you know, like in a bad economy genie type of three wishes, right? And the rabbi said, the rabbi picked these three things. He says, first of all, he says, I want you to spare Yavne. Yavne where all the sages were. The old Chachamim, the big Torah scholars. He says, I want you to spare them because without them we don't have, uh, you know, Judaism. Judaism is going to fall. Number two, there's a, there was a man by the name of Rabbi Tzadok. Rabbi Tzadok, he fasted for 40 years to prevent the destruction of the temple. Literally fasted for 40 years every single day so that the, 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 uh, the Jerusalem would not be destroyed. Did that work? It worked until he, well, he fasted for 40 years, so less than 40 years. And, uh, and then he said, uh, I want you to bring a physician to help, to heal him. And then I want you to save Rabbi Gamliel, he's, which was, came from the Davidic dynasty. Right? Because Mashiach comes from the Davidic dynasty. He says, you need, we need to have him alive. And he says, no problem. Easy three things, no problem. So a lot of people ask, why didn't you just ask them to just save us? You know, like, just don't kill everybody. You know, that's a, that's a good uh, wish. And he said, and the answer is, is that, you know, that if you would have asked something too big, you wouldn't have got anything. Rather, he figured if I ask for three small things, I'm going to be able to get that. Let me, let me stick with that. And he took those three things. So while, uh, this was, um, while this was happening, so, so this general left, and who came in his place was his son by the name of Titus. Titus is, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with, if anybody ever went to visit Rome, uh, in Rome near the Colosseum, um, there is an Arch of Titus. Right, Titus, Titus, whatever. Um, so the Arch of Titus over there, and if you go in the Arch of Titus, you'll see over there there is a a picture. It's actually engraved in the inside of the of the arch. Of you see people carrying a menorah. Uh, and I, I went there. I took. I was actually. I took a picture of it in in uh, in Rome, in Italy. Yeah. So, uh, but it's funny because you see over there. This is this. By the way, the halakha is you're not supposed to walk under this uh, this arch, even though nowadays you can't even walk because they they uh, they block it off. But you see all these Jews. They're like. Archetitis, and they go, smile, you know, selfie, picture. I'm like, wait, you're taking a picture by the destruction of the temple. This is basically the arch is, is symbolizing, oh, they won over us, right? You have the Jews taking, going on the Roman tours, and everyone's smiling for pictures in the, you know, the destruction of the, of the temple. People don't realize. You go also to the Colosseum, um, the Colosseum is where they had, um, uh, gladiators. Gladiators were a lot of Jews that were taken slave, uh, into slaves after the, after the destruction of the Beth Amidash. They took them over there, and they literally watched and cheered as, like, wild animals ripped these people apart, and they fought for their lives, you know, with spears and, and whatever the, the tools that they gave them. So, uh, 
what happened was, and I want to say a little bit more about the um, the story before we actually go on, explain to you how actually bad it was. There was uh, um, people were the, the the main thing that really destroyed them was the hunger. Like people literally sat and waited to die. There were some people that just sat on. There was literally no food left at the, At a certain point, there was no food left that they uh, they used to go and they used to just sit down and they used to just. Look at the temple, so the last thing that they could see would be the temple. And they literally died from starvation. It was so bad that, you know, the, the husbands sto- grabbed food away from their wives if they, had, if they had food. The wives, the mothers, grabbed food away from the children if they saw that they had food. It was, the, 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 you really read it, and you're like, it was, it's like inhumane. I want to read you this, uh, uh, this one story that is probably, when I read this story, this was like the worst story that I've, you know, heard of, the, of that time. And it was about a woman by the name of Miriam, the daughter of Eliezer. And she came from a very, very uh, uh, distinguished family. And she had a lot of money and she brought it all to Jerusalem while they were, you know, running away from uh, the Romans. And the, the, the zealots, these uh, rebellious people, they took away all her money, all her food, everything. And she left without anything. And she had a little baby. And so this, she was so hunger crazed. And, and listen to what uh, she did. I'm going to read you a paragraph. She grabbed her infant and she cried out, poor baby, why should I keep you alive? What hope is there for you? For what shall we pray? If hunger is victorious, we shall perish. If Romans are victorious, we shall be enslaved. If the zealots are victorious, they would be even crueler. We have an even crueler fate. Come, my son, to be my food. Keep your dear mother alive, for there's no hope for you. She then took a knife. She turned away, and she held the child, and she slid it through his throat. And then she went on, and she went to Barbie. She cut the limb by limb, and she put the little baby on the on the grill, and she started baking, cook, uh, grilling her her, her child. The people outside started smelling barbecue. They were like, "Are you serious? There's somebody here that has food." They barged into this into this uh, into this uh, room, and they see that this woman's eating. She says, "How dare you have food and you don't share with everybody else?" And she was like, "No, no, please come, come, enjoy me and eat. I have still left over." And she points to the half-eaten baby, and she says, "Here, I saved some for you." And they're all like, "What are you crazy?" He's like, "How do you eat your child?" And he and she's like, "She's like, what? If you don't want it, just leave it for me. There'll be more for me, right?" And this shows the lowest point that we fell, right? This is the lowest point that how we fell. Right? It's not just the destruction of the Beth HaMikdash. We, we felt at such a spiritual low. We felt so bad. The people, there was very wealthy people. You know how they, they, the, the, you know, the bellies usually swell. If you don't eat for so long, and the body works in a very weird way, and it starts swelling up. The rich people over there that never actually walked on the ground had to, couldn't put on their sandals because their feet were so swollen. And they went, and went, but there was one rich woman. She was, her name was Martha, the son of Bethios or something like that. And... Uh, the way how she died is that she actually was walking because she couldn't put on her shoes, trying to look for food, and she found some half-eaten fig, and she tried to suck the fig, the the you know whatever was left out of that, and she was so nauseated by it that she 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 you know she fell back and she died. And before she died, she had a lot of gold and jewelry on her. She took the gold and jewelry and she threw it onto the street. She says, "Of what worth is this? This was worth nothing to me, right?" And she threw it away and she passed away. And you know you you really think about it. You know people that have so much money. What is it worth if they can't buy a loaf of bread? You'll give anything for that. You know what they did in the Holocaust? To do, people smuggled diamonds, you know, just to maybe get a little bit extra food. Maybe get a little bit some, extra something. We don't know how grateful we have to be for what we have right now. So. I would ask a question. Mm-hmm. Halakhically, let's say like in this sort of situation, if someone dies of natural, not natural, like. Are you allowed to eat him? Yeah. So this question was actually brought to Rabbi Ushri from the Holocaust. So the question is as follows. The question is, are you allowed to go and eat? Are you, when you're starving to death, you're allowed to eat whatever you need because it's pikuach nefesh, right? Non-kosh food, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you're allowed to eat it to save yourself. The question is, can you go, if you see somebody that died, can you go and can you eat this person, right, to survive? 
So they actually asked this question, came up to, there was a rabbi in the Holocaust that came up with the most, you know, saddest questions that you could ever imagine. And this was one of the questions that he was asked. He says, listen, he says, we're starving over here. He says, we have people that died. He says, can we go and can we eat them so we don't die from starvation? And, you know, imagine a rabbi getting that question. You know, that, where, where do you turn? So he answered them, he says, no. He says, the reason for that is, is that if somebody's sick and they're about to die, you're not allowed to go. If let's say somebody's on the on the um, you know on a respirator and they're you know they look like they're about to go, you're not allowed to uh, you know just pull the plug just for whatever, just because you don't want to, right? However, uh, there is halachic you know uh, you know you know differences that you are allowed to do something like a DNR, do not resuscitate or do not intubate. There are certain criteria you are uh, you are allowed to do these things, but to kill somebody earlier, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to actively kill somebody earlier. And the rabbi, Rabbi Ashri, explained and he said, listen, he says there are sometimes that you see that you think somebody's dead. They might not be breathing, you know, when per- before a person dies, he doesn't breathe like a regular person. They'll breathe very sporadically. He says, maybe, just maybe, you'll think that he's dead, and then you'll try to eat this person. By, by doing that, you'll kill him. He says, because of that, you're not allowed to do that. And he says, you're not allowed to. So this, uh, that would answer your question. So he says, uh, you would not allow to uh, uh, eat a person. So the... Um, but what if you know for a fact that You still, you, don't, uh, you mean, and it starts uh, rotting? We should never know from that. I don't know. The, rab- the rabbi explained that the only answer I can give you is what he is what he uh, said, and he says is that you should not, uh, you know. And uh, um, when when Titus went and he he actually got into the temple and he actually went and he you know destroyed the temple, the it was a very very um, sad day for for all the Jews and it happened on the ninth of Av. And what he did was is this despicable person. He goes and you're, you can turn on the air conditioning. Yeah, this uh, this despicable person. He goes and he takes a a, uh, a harlot and he brings her to the Bet Hamikdash, the Holy of Holies, and then he takes a Torah scroll and he opens up a Torah scroll and he does a dirty deed on the Torah scroll in the Holy of Holies. After he finishes that, he takes out his sword and there was a parochet over there, there was a curtain over there. He takes it and he slashes it, and God made a miracle that blood comes out and he says, "Aha! See, I killed the God of the Jews." And uh, uh, as he was traveling back. Thank you. As he was traveling back from, uh, uh, you know, from from war, there was a big sea. Rage. Uh, there was a big sea. There was a big storm on the sea, and he was like, "Ah, oh, I see. The God of the Jews can only destroy people in the sea. He destroyed Paul in the sea. He destroyed all the uh, big uh, uh, warriors in the street. He says, you 'You're so strong, God, destroy me on land.' So there was a voice that came out, and the Batkal came out, and says, "You know what?" He says, "I'm going to send my smallest creature to go and destroy you." The second that he went on and stepped on on foot on soil, there was a little gnat. A tiny little fly that went through his nose into his brain. And this gnat slowly kept on eating, eating, eating on his brain. And it caused him tremendous heartache and, and uh, headaches and, and, and suffering. And this lasted for seven years. One day he was walking uh, uh, past by a blacksmith. And he, the blacksmith was hanging and banging. When he was banging, the fly stopped, you know, uh, bothering him. And uh, so he kept on hiring people to go and bang wherever he went. And uh, uh, that lasted for seven days until the... The, the the fly got used to it and then he proceeded. When he passed away after seven years, they opened up his brain and there was a the, the size of the uh, the fly was as big as a small dove. It was a, it was a, it was a huge. It grew so big and entirely ate this entire thing, ate his entire brain. He said, uh, "God, you said you know you, uh, you think I could send you a little fly and that's what's going to kill you, right?" So now. We're coming to this, this is what happened on that day. That was just like a brief history uh, story that happened. And and if you have time and if you have the ability, I very strongly recommend pick up like history books or certain spelling over here. I could show you over here where you should, uh, I'll show it to you afterwards, where you could definitely, you know, read it. It'll definitely put you a uh, source of, of what the day is. And you look at, by the way, the story 
is really amazing because the Jews were, were extremely war. They were so strong. Like there were a few Jews that were able to take on hundreds of, of Roman things. They were much stronger than the Romans. They were definitely, you know, the, the power that we had was unbelievable. And uh, so I strongly recommend to, you know, especially Tisha B'Av, if there's anything that much that you could really do, read this. It's definitely going to put, or read any any actual, uh, um, and I can give you a few recommendations at the end of uh, the show. So, but going back to what I really wanted to speak about, was the baseless hatred, the reason for the destruction of the Beth Amigdash. Baseless hatred means hating somebody for no reason, right? And everybody here has a dislike for somebody, right? According to Torah, that's not allowed. And we're, today, we're gonna abolish that. What's and follow me. No ah, so we're gonna get into that. So first of all, let's start like this. You don't like somebody for whatever reason, right? I guarantee you, out of, out of 50% of those reasons, out of 50, let's say all those cases, right? Everybody's cases that they don't like somebody, I could smack it right away 50% and all of them is right away is, is almost for no reason at all. Even the, the boss? Yeah, <laughs> even the boss. The, the, there is, if I, we'll go statistically, right? 50% right away you could say is, is nonsense, right? You hate somebody for no reason, 50% I could, and, and everybody would agree with me. The most time is a reason for nothing. Then let's say you go, okay, so then you have the next 40%. The next 40% you might have a reason. Not a great reason, but you might have a reason. Then you have the top 10% where it would be like, you know, somebody, I gave this class, uh, uh, this idea yesterday, and they said, oh, what if somebody murdered somebody, you know, that's close to you? <laughs> I'm like, all right, so let's keep that in the top 10%. But the bottom 90%, the reasons are not really, if you really think about it, like, why don't you like this girl? Or why don't you like, you know, this person? Why don't you like this family member? If you really dig down to it, it's all petty reasons. All nonsense and not, uh, uh, you know, for, for no real reasons that people get fight, fight over and people have this, this uh, um, you know, hatred or dislike or whatever it is uh, towards somebody. Now, I want to. I heard this story recently by Rabiol Gold, and uh, there was, you know, one time there was a there was a family that was going up to the mountains in the summer and visiting day, and uh, there was the daughter, and then there was a father, and then there was a grandfather. The daughter was in camp, and 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 the father and the grandfather came to visit. Now, after they did all the Guys, this video was sent in the group chat from Rabbi Karina yeah. home. So he goes and he and he uh, he goes to this uh, um, after they do the visiting day, and they walk past by this another elderly gentleman, and this, you know, her grandfather sees this elderly gentleman. Their eyes lock. They do this like little nod, and they keep on walking. So the son who was there goes to his father and says, "Hey, Dad, listen, you know, you know, who is that guy?" He's like, uh, you know, I know, I know all your friends. I know all your people. I've never seen him before. And he's like, um, that is uh, my best friend from before the war. He was a Holocaust survivor. He says, that was my best friend from before the war. He's like, your best friend before the war, and all you're going to do is just nod? You know, why don't you give him a hug? Why don't you say what's going on? You know, catch up. And he says, uh, don't worry about it. Just let it go. And he kept on like, persisting. The son says, no, no, like, dad, tell me, please. What, what, you know, what's, you know, it's very odd. What, what happened? So he says, uh, the father says, says before, the, uh, before the war, before the Nazis came into the, t- to the town, he says uh, he was able to procure visas for his wife and his child and his in-laws. And, uh, you know, and he hid in a certain place, visas to get out, get out of Germany. And he hid it in a certain place, and he goes over to to this, uh, uh, to his friend. One time his friend says, hey, listen, so did you prepare anything? You know, uh, what are you going to do? I hear the Nazis are coming in any day. So they said, so this, he said, um, he says, yeah, actually, I, I got visas for my whole family, and I hid it. And he told this person, his best friend, where he hid the, the um, his visas for his wife, for his wife, his kid, and his in-laws. And he's like, wow, you're so lucky. He says, I didn't do anything. And he says, you know, you know, whatever. We could try it, whatever it is. And the next day, he goes, his, the father says, I go to go look for the visas and where I hid them, and they're gone. And he says, only one person knows where those visas were. And that was my best friend. So I went over to my best friend to see, you know, maybe you saw the visas. And he was gone, and his whole family was gone. 
And he says, uh, I lost everything in the, in the war. I lost my wife. I lost my kid. I lost my in-laws. I lost everything over there. And now the son goes to him. He says, now I have another question for you. Why didn't you go and hit him? Why did I just a nod? So, the, so he answered, you know, such an amazing thing. He says, you know, it was a different time. He says, people acted differently. And we can't judge. This guy killed by, in some sort of way, his family. And he was able to go pass by it. There is nobody in this room, or watching, or listening, that can say, oh, I've, I, I hate somebody for a real reason. There's no reason that you could hate somebody. All reasons are nonsense. And even if, let's say, that you go and you have a big reason, you have a real reason, do you think that somebody could do something to you that wasn't ordained by, that wasn't decreed by heaven, that God didn't say, I want this to happen to you? Is it even possible for someone to steal money from you if God didn't say that you, your money is supposed to get stolen from you? No. Can somebody hurt you emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually? It doesn't matter. Can they hurt you at all if God didn't decree in it? And the answer is absolutely not. You can, they cannot hurt you unless it was decreed. So if it was decreed, why are you killing the messenger? Why are you hating the messenger? It was decreed from God. Someone's screaming at you. Your boss is screaming at you. It's not your boss. God sent you that person screaming at you. Your, your spouse is screaming at you. It's not your spouse that's screaming at you. God is sending you a message. And why are there divorces? No, that's a long question. What? Everybody has free will, and I'll explain it like this. Let's say somebody was supposed to steal money from somebody, right? And that question is a very good question, because let's say somebody was supposed to steal money from somebody. So he says, listen. That's for sure, that also. But he says, let's say somebody's supposed to steal money from somebody. And he says, all right, listen, uh, um, you know, he goes up to heaven and says, listen, God, why are you punish me, the thief? You know, you wanted this to get stolen, I was just your messenger. So God would answer back, says, yeah, but you didn't have to be the messenger. You had the free will to do it. I have plenty of messengers that would have people, that's what it says, in a way that a person wants to go, you'll, you'll, they'll direct him. Somebody wants to steal really badly, they'll make it happen. Somebody wants to do certain sins, they'll open the doors for them. Right? So he says that you're the, you shouldn't have gone into that. You still have the free will to do that. Granted, that person's money was going to get lost somehow. But you, what didn't have to be done by your hand. The same thing goes with, um, mitzvot. Yeah, that's why mitzvah, mitzvah, avera, which means that when you do one mitzvah, it brings another mitzvah. It brings another thing. But at the end of the day, if you really want to do charity, and you really want to do good, God will send you that opportunity. You really don't want to do it, you really run away from it, at a certain point, you're not going to get that much. So, our obligation to like move away from sinat chinam, does that include... Like, does that mean that we also have to forgive these people that have done these wrong stuff? Like, it wasn't... Mm-hmm. Were, whatever happened was supposed to happen to us anyways from Shemaim, but they chose to do it to us. You still have to forgive them. You still have to... And you should forgive them. Some things, sometimes it's very hard to forgive people. Right. But it's a very big thing to what forgive. What if that's putting yourself in a, in a situation for more harm? How? But you forgive, you don't have to go and scream well, after them. Someone who's not like a trustworthy person or someone who's not... I didn't say, person. oh, so you don't have to go and become best friends with them again if they went and they stole, you know, your right. fiancé or whatever it is, you know. The, yeah, you can stay away from them. But, like, but that's not considered, like, sinakhinam? No, no, there's, is hatred inside. Hatred yeah. inside. Okay, so, you know, the, the most, uh, family feud is a very big problem now, right? Uh, not the show, the, no. the, the problem, <laughs> right? I don't know if it's still around, but I remember back in the day it was. So, uh, you know... The, it's a very big problem because what you have siblings there that they fight usually over what the most pettiest thing. Even if you want to say inheritance, it's usually over, what fifty thousand dollars, a hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, a million, even a million dollars. You're gonna you're gonna sacrifice your friendship with your sister, with your with your brother. You know, people d- separate, families d- divide for this most pettiest reasons. And you know what? If you really deep dig deep down inside, no matter the most severe. Uh, fight that you have with any siblings, deep down you really love them terribly. You love them with all your heart. You really, and there's nothing more that you would want to do than just, let's forget about the whole thing. But there's one thing that stops somebody, and that's pride. It says, no, I want her to apologize first. No, I want him to apologize first. I'm not going to say anything. Right? This was Aaron Cohen. He used this trick, this tactic. 
he goes over to one person and he says, listen, the other person that you're fighting with, he feels really bad and he wants to, he wants to apologize. The other guy says, oh, really? Oh, well, you know, all right. And then he goes to the other person and says, oh, you know, the guy that is fighting with you, he feels really bad and he wants to apologize. And he says, oh, you know, if he really wants to apologize, then I'll leave it. And then they meet and they reconnect and, the, and the, um, they have shalom, right? That's what Aaron Cohen, he's known as Odef Shalom. He chases after peace. Now, the obvious question is, what happened after he made peace? Like, didn't they say like, oh, wait, so, you know, I'm pretty happy that uh, you came and apologized first. So you realize you're wrong. They're like, what are you talking about? So you apologized first to me. You know, but the problem is, is that the, the thing is, is that once you already went through that, you're like, all right, whatever, it's behind us. So, you know, we're best friends. Skip, right? For a lot, for a piece, yes. For peace, yes. That's why I tell men, if let's say your wife comes with you and says, do I look pretty in this? Before you even look, the answer is yes. Do I look fat in this? You're never look fat, right? There's no such thing as uh, you and fat in it, you know. And uh, yeah, now I shouldn't probably tell this to you, but uh, um, but listen, it's a win-win situation either way, right? So, and then they watch this, no, I really want to, uh, tell me really, really. And I'm like, no, no, really, really, I really, really, you know, you're, you're the most beautiful, for, well, yada, 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 right? So, that's what I'm telling you. You guys got to marry people that learn to walk. <laughs> See, good life. It's a good life. So, uh, now, the, the, there's a, a um, the Talmud Yerushalmi in Pea says that the generation of David, when they went into war, but the generation of David, they were learning to walk, like uh, the little kids knew the difference between kosher and not kosher and all these different animals and different uh, high complex issues. But yet, when they went into war, they had casualties. However, when you had uh, the time of Ahab, the time of Ahab was a very wicked king. He made uh, idol worship for everybody. When he went into war, no casualties. And the reason is, is because by the time of David, there were pe- people speaking Lashon about uh, other people. Bless you, about gossip. And the time of, of, uh, of, of uh, Ahab, everybody loved each other. There was unity. When there's unity, there is pe- there, God, God is with them. And where, where do we know this? There's a, an obligation in the Torah. It says in Vayika, right? Chapter 19, verse 18. It says, You have to love your friend like yourself, right? The Christianity went and took a twist on this, right? Love your neighbor like yourself, right? And Matthew, blah, 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 who cares, right? So uh, they go and they took a twist and they take everything anyways from the Old Testament, anything that's worthwhile. And, uh, um, you know, there's an obligation to you to love your fellow Jew uh, of like yourself, right? And what does the Pasuk end? Ani Hashem. Right, so it's Why are we sticking in I'm God over there? Because if you have two friendship over there, with with you know you have a real friendship over there and you have a real love between each other, God says I want to be part of that friendship. Count me in, right? And when you have God in your friendship, nothing can get in the way, right? Peace is 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 so is so in, in, important and integral for a Jewish uh, society is that this is what causes God to dwell in us. If we have peace, if we have unity, if we don't have any baseless hatred, God is with us and nothing can stop us, no matter what else we do. Right, we should always do the good, but no matter what else, we have the power. We have the power of, every, of, of the, the biggest power. Now, the big problem is is that uh, once we divide, we lose our power. Now, in Nazi Germany, this is said from from a woman who was in Germ- who was in the concentration camp. She says, you know, in Nazi Germany, there was no difference between the Germans and the Jews. The Germans were German. The Jews were German. The Germans went to German schools. The Jews went to German schools. The Germans went to university. The, Ger- the Jews went to university. They looked the same. They sounded the same. They talked the same. They ate the same. They did everything the same. And when did we realize that we're not Germans? And they said, we thought we are Germans. They said, when did we realize that we're not Germans? When the Nazis went and reminded us that we're not Germans. The Nazis went and reminded us that we're Jews and we're not German. There are many people, you go to somebody, he says, what are you? Oh, I'm American. Like, no, you're not American. You're Jewish. What are you? I'm Gorski. You're not Gorski. You're Jewish. You're not Syrian. You're not Persian. You're not Bukharian. You're Jewish. There's only one that's Jewish. There are people who says, oh, part of my community. Your community is Jewish. Your community is not Syrian. Your community is not Gorski. You're going to be, you know, you don't associate, well, I'm Syrian. No, you're not Syrian. You're Jewish. Right? And the proof is, do you, Syria needs a lot of money now. 
do you go and send money to Syria? Do you pray for Syria every day? Right? You don't. You pray for Jerusalem. You pray for Jews and you send money to Jews. Right? Because you're Jewish. And it's a very big problem nowadays is that we are all separate communities. Yes? At the same time, don't we learn that like, the class starts at home? So that's what yes. people cater to Absolutely. communities before venturing outside? The, yes. And that's <laughs> what I'm saying. The, what's the community? Your community... Right, but like, obviously there has to be certain... like. I bother you for this order. Like Sorry. levels, because yeah, the, that's fine. Thank you. the Jewish world is so that's large, right. obviously you have to have smaller... Um, so we'll speak about that. Yeah, so we'll speak about that. Tre- technically, yes. Charity starts at home, which means is first you help your family. Family include cousins and, then, and this like, and thing. And then, and then your state and then you, and your right, country. So right, like, right, right. So is it wrong that people, people cater more to their own communities? <sighs> Before. Certain things, you know. Let me tell you like this. Let me tell you. Uh, let me let me explain like this. And maybe this you could. There's always extremes. There's always like, and I'll, you know, maybe this will. This is a, unfortunately. I so hope that this story is not true. I really hope it's not true. But I heard it from a very reliable source who heard it from the source. And uh, this person once started a business, and he brought in two uh, partners. Right? Oh, actually, I think it was one partner. One partner. He brought in a partner. And, cause the partner brought in the money and he had all the idea for the business. And they, he worked for, and the idea was, you know, they would have like partnership, but you know, he brought in the money, he's gonna do the work. He works months and months and months building this business, right? And he has a family and he has kids and he's waiting for that big payday. Finally, when the business gets off the ground, the partner comes in and says, uh, goodbye. And he says, what do you, what do you mean goodbye? He says, uh, we're done over here. He basically cut him out of everything. Everything that he worked for, he cut him out. And somehow he managed to sign all the papers and get him out of all the whole, basically completely screwed him over. And he took, he took everything. So the, the guy goes over to him and says, you know, listen, he says, he says, how can you do this to me? He says, I, I worked on this for months. He says, I have a wife. I have children. He says, I'm the sole feeder of my family. He says, I, I need this money. How do you do this to me? And the guy, what he answered it, and I really hope that this is not true. And he says, I don't care about you. I don't care about your family. And I don't even care about your kids. You're not part of my community. You mean nothing to me. Those are the words. You mean nothing to me. Right? Obviously, this person wasn't religious. But still, I'm saying, this is not, this is not a Jewish nation. The Jewish nation loves everybody. Yeah, yeah. Jewish nation loves everybody that. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to gachas v'shalom, you know, we don't, I'm not speaking against the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation is unbelievable. Right? Mika Amchaisal. You know, we do charity like nobody's business. But I'm saying is, we have to be united. We have to be, we have to be unified. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, within someone's capabilities, if they, they only have it, like, they're only able to help one person and, and, out of two, and one is from their community. Yes. Is it wrong yes. to choose that yes. person? Yes. So, so no. So, no. So, if it's somebody that's close to you, obviously you're friends with them. You choose that person. But uh, uh, I'm talking about more the extreme. Identifying. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. The problem is, I, you know, I explain it like this. Uh, so, I somebody once spoke to me. Now, well, it was actually actually a while ago um, regarding dating, and he said, uh, you know, he only dates within his community. And I said, what happens if I can set you up? And he wasn't getting any dates. I said, listen, what happens if I could set you up with somebody from outside of your community? He's like, not going to happen. So I'm like, so I'm like, you know, that's a good girl, religious girl. Everything is good. Could I set you up with that? He's like, it's not happening. And I'm like, why? He says, no, I'm only marrying from my community. And I'm like, so let's say your soulmate is not in your community. Let's just happen to say that your soulmate, what, what are you going to do then? And what he answered me was unbelievable. And he says, I guess I'm not going to marry my soulmate. Yeah, and I said, and I'm like, and I'm, and then I went to explain to him, why do you want to marry into in your community? You want to marry in your community not for yourself, for your parents, right? So they could chit chat in the same language, you know, while everybody else is not listening, or so that they'll be familiar with the similar foods. And I'm like, your parents are not religious, you know. 
you know, because he comes to me, he's like, customs. Kyle, we have customs. What customs? You tell me, what customs? Don't put salt on the table, keys on the table, all the fake stuff. Those are the customs. Those are all fake. The things that you're supposed to keep customs, the Shabbat and kosher and all those things, you don't keep anyway. You know, the family. So I said, what, what, what customs are you talking about over here? You're Jew. Marry anybody. If you are telling me, okay, I get, you know, you have so many dates and you're getting so many people lined up and you want to stick to your community, fine. You know, by all means. But if you're not getting anybody, time to venture out. I spoke to somebody's father, right? It was an older man who came to me after one class and says I had, he has an older daughter that's, that's single. And I said, you know, so I was asking some questions and I was like, okay, so um, I asked him, you know, she's a certain community. And I said, what about, you know, something very similar to that community? I said, oh, you know, they're cheap, you know? And then I'm like, okay, so what about something else? And he's like, oh, no, the abuse. No, no. And in my mind, after everything that I said, I'm, in my mind I'm thinking, there's a reason why your daughter's single. There's a reason why your daughter's single. And it's very possible it's your fault. I couldn't. I could, this guy's a sweet man. I, I couldn't say it to his face. I really could. Maybe I should have. You know? Yeah. The one thing that you don't have to listen to your parents for is who you marry, right? If you find a good kosher, yeah, I'll get you in a second. If you marry, a, if you find a good kosher guy, right, religious, everything is good, and your parents say no, you don't have to listen to them. You don't have to listen to them. If there's a real reason and they're nervous about something, then fine. But most likely, you, you don't, you know, if it's a, if your, your parents are not marrying this guy. You are. What, what's going on over here? They're, they're Jewish. You're not marrying a Muslim, uh, you know, Ahmed, yeah. The different minhags because we were in exile. Yeah, originally it was create segregation between the communities because people are grown up. You're right. No you're right. Pasta, I mean, no, no rice. I'm right, right. And all that stuff. You know what minhag? Right. If you take the word letters minhag and you mix it around, it spells gehenom. Mm -hmm. Minhag, gehenom. It spells the same thing. So we Minhagim is very important. Minhagim is very important. There are some minhagim. There, there are some minhagim. Yes, there are different Sephardic or Ashkenazic and things like that. The big halachot, there's no big difference. The main halachot, there's no big difference. All the customs we have, rice or this and that. You know, the 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 main things are all the same. They're all exactly the same. Torah is the same. It doesn't change from from uh, from this, uh, you know, to to somebody else. The, the customs are just interpreted a little bit differently because they lived in two different. Uh, you can't blame us for not wanting to marry, like let's say Sephardic girl, not wanting to marry Ashkenaz because. She just grew up with a Sephardic family and she enjoys the, the Sephardic family. So that's fine. If you're getting plenty of dates of Sephardic guys, then fine. Go ahead. You know, go marry. Find somebody. The best that you find close to you is better. But I'm talking about people that don't. And they have by, by policy. I'm not dating anybody like that. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Can you elaborate how Minhag and Gehenom are related with one another? Minhag and man. Minhag and Gehenom. Same letters. Just mix it up. Yeah, but like, like how, what do you mean? Like, some people take minhagim very, very seriously. Okay. So much, so, and again, minhag, there's a, the, the minhag is ka'alacha, a certain extent. But so much so is that if they had this weird custom that the great grandmother started, they'll do it over any alacha. They'll take it and they'll do it over the alacha. They'll take, there's, a, there's an obligation to love your fellow Jew, right? There's no obligation to, uh, you know, throw salt. Or whatever they throw on Khatan and Kala. They, you know, they do it for little different things, right? So whatever it is. There's, there's, nice little, there's no obligation for that. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that are alakha and there's certain things that are not. You know, the alakha people forget is to love every Jew like yourself. You have to love every Jew. And if you don't, you're not allowed to hate somebody. That's also you're violating a, a biblical commandment. It's not just like, uh, alright, so I don't get along with one, but what's a big deal? That's a very big deal. Okay, so, the, um, okay. So the you know it is also a big problem that uh, you know 
it comes up with, with the parents. The parents raise the people, you know, oh, this guy, you know, and they have names. Unfortunately, I was very shocked. I once went to a certain community and they call people outside of the community a certain name, right? Everybody has a certain name. And I was very, I was, I was extremely, and I'm like, I'm like, what does that even mean? And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. So, so uh, whatever it is, a derogatory name, right? And there are certain people that if they see Israelis, they call them a certain nickname. And they call this a certain nickname. I'm like, well, what's going on over here? I'm like, when I hear what these things stand for, I'm like, are you kidding me? And this is talking about when I was, I'm like, well, what's going on over here? We're all Jews over here. We are all Jews. We're all, you wouldn't, you're, you're some Ashkenaz guy that, or girl that you've never met before. You should love that person like your sister. Right? You as long as they're Jewish, right? What's, what's their, you, it, it, whatever. Alright. So, um, there's, a, there's also a bigger problem is, is that, um, and, and by the way, this is a very, very rampant problem is that we have to really work. The reason that I could say that we have this problem is because we don't have the Beta Mikdashet. If we had the Beta Mikdashet, it means we fix, ba- fix baseless hatred. Because when do you, ha- when do you correct, once you correct something, the, the thing comes back. You know, when we correct the sin, we have back. When we correct baseless hatred, we bring Mashiach, we bring Mashiach, we bring the Beta Mikdash. So, yes. When I came here first, and I saw all the cinema, all the shows that are here, I was like, I was shocked because you know why do you need so many shows? Yeah. When when there is no minion in some of them. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. So I was really shocked. So why do people do this? Why do people open a show? So some and understand right. that they can just go and pray with other right. People? So sometimes it's a real reason, and uh, a real reason is that um, is let's say you have a Sephardic and Ashkenazic. Right, so that's a real reason to have two separate ones. But there are other reasons that are fake, that are not real reasons. That there's a rabbi that decides he wants a shul, right? And he's like, you know, I'm pretty important, and I deserve a shul. I deserve this, yada yada. He finds some heavy. It does, it does. But you, but again, we have so many. We have. We have so many people here. We need so many shuls. But they say that you have every person has their own certain rabbi. If you get you one right. question, you'll get a different. Right, right. You're supposed to have your own rabbi, and that—that's the real main reason is that we have the Brooklyn is so overpopulated, Baruch Hashem, so populated with heavy Jewish people that you need one synagogue is not gonna be enough. Yeah. The problem is that you have certain synagogues that are empty, right? So. But on Yom Kippur and holidays, they're full. I'm sure they're full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For all those uh, righteous, also, righteous people. American people live like they live like a, like a, like a long, like everything, like a whole system in America. Like yeah, I know. Like let's say in Russia, the people live in a group. Right, right. Over here, you don't know your next door neighbor. Yeah. Right. You don't say yeah. you you live next to next. You're coming from like from. Right, right. No, no. I hear, I hear. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely hear that. Having a group and a clique is not a problem. I don't think that's a problem at all. Like, like you're building a shul, right? I think that's amazing, and I think it's extremely important. You know, and and I support it one thousand percent. But but when you when you push out not you and I'm saying but if somebody pushes out everybody else only us that's when it causes a problem. Build as many shuls as you want. It's good, but you know, but but there's a you know invite everybody. Everybody's part of the community. Baseless hatred? You have to worry about yourself. Everybody has to just get the baseless hatred out of themselves. Right? After that, you know. You worry about yourself. Just don't hate anybody else. Don't be like, love me. No, love me. Stop hating me. You know, that's not going to work. Yeah? Unless it's your husband, that might work. Right? But, uh, um, so anyways, so, so there is a, there's a very, something very interesting in, in, um, in Pashach Mini, there is certain animals that it lists which are kosher and which are not kosher. And then it lists something very interesting, it lists a chasida. A chasida, I believe it's translated into a stork. And a chasida is, first of all, is not kosher. Now the question is why is it not kosher? The Rambam, Maimonides, he explains, like a stork. Yeah, and he explains that, uh, if there is, why, why can't we eat certain food? Why can't we eat certain food? Is re- the reason is, is because certain animals have very bad nature. And when you eat the animal, 
you become that bad natured because uh, uh, it becomes into you. It turns you you literally uh, uh, become what you eat. You are what you eat. So the the question the Gemara asks is, what's wrong with the chasida? Chasida it literally translates to chasid, kindness. It does kindness. What's the problem with it? And uh, the, there's a midrash in Bereish Rabbah that says that when when Adam went and looked and he named every single animal, every animal in Hebrew, the, the Lashon HaKodesh, its name reveals something to you. So he looked at every single animal in in such an, a Kabbalistic sense, in the secrets, he, he knew the, the secret of that animal and he named it for that animal. An example is a donkey. A donkey carries a lot of, of material on it, right? A donkey's name is Chamol, right? Chamol is a donkey. It's very similar to Chomel, which is physical things, physicality. The donkey carries the physicality. His name is Chamol. The Chasidah does Chesed. So its name is Chasidah. Now the obvious question is, why is it not kosher? If it does kindness, what is the problem? Ah, very good. So the, so the answers, the Kadush Aryam answers, and he says that the Chasidah's generosity limits to its own circle. It will only feed, it will only do Chesed, it will only do kindness to its own kind. To anybody else, they're not going to do kindness. Right? There are certain people that they'll build, they'll, I'll, I'll, let me explain this. About a uh, hundred years ago, there was a chesed society that, that came up and they went, they wanted to open up this organization. And this organization, what they was gonna do, it was gonna, it was gonna have, um, it was gonna have, like, money, free loan society, it's gonna have help for weddings, it's going to help if anybody needs to help for setting up a Shabbat meal, a bunch of different things for the neighbors, for the neighborhood. So they went over to this rabbi to get his blessing, Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin, and he says, uh, you know, it sounds uh, really amazing. So it says, but uh, what happens if somebody from outside the neighborhood is going to come in and he uh, wants to borrow money? So the people in charge says, listen, we're going to have to politely, you know, turn him away. He says, you know, we only have limited certain funds and we have to, you know, put it for our inner neighborhood. So the rabbi says, answer says, you know, it's true that chesed starts at home. Kindness should start at home, right? But what you're doing over here is you're not really, chesed is when you do chesed, you know, just for chesed. What you're really doing is you're basically donating money to a certain fund so that you could use it later. You're not doing kindness to somebody else. You're doing kindness to yourself in the case of the future. This is, you know, some people that go to their organ donations is that when do you get an organ donor? If you donate your organs, they'll give you their, you know, their organs. It's like a, so you're not such a righteous person. You just want to be, have a back, you know, backup. That, you know, you want, in case you need something, you have a backup, right? So the the he says he says you're right. It is chesed, but that's chesed for yourself. That's that's selfless. That's uh, that's not selfless. That uh, um, that's not the chasidam does kindness for itself. It's still not kosher, right? We have to be very careful that we don't do kindness just for our, our own group. You do kindness for every single Jew, right? Non Jew, you also have to do kindness. But obviously, you start off with your, you know with your with your brothers and sisters and cousins first before you go into the you know helping um, that or everybody else. Now, when do you have you see unity in Jewish people? When you see unity in Jewish people, it's always when there's tragedies. Right? And, and we just don't get it. We don't get it. Like, uh, you know when the three boys were killed in, uh, um, you know how much unity there was in Israel? Chasidim, Ashkenazim, Sfaradim, everybody's hand in hand together. No, they stole somebody else, no, no problem at all. Right? Everybody came together. Right? You know, you guys remember there was a story in Brooklyn uh, a few years ago by the name of Leibli Kletsky. Right? There's a little kid that unfortunately got murdered in a very brutal way. So I had a friend of mine. That called me up and he says, uh, listen, you want to go look for him? Because it was, a, there was, a, before they found him, they was, uh, there was a bunch of people that went and they searched for him. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? And he says, uh, he's going to Home Depot. He bought like this, like, 
huge flashlight that's like police uh, you know duty it lights up like the whole world with like one you know so i'm like yeah get me one also so we take these like huge flashlights and we go to the showroom center which is the, the where the uh, the main center was and where they sent everybody everybody got a piece of paper and says you search this area right backyard saw stairwells everything search everything see if you find in the garbage cans they, they told us search everything so um we went over there and you you just look at the people that you see around just waiting to get the list you see people with beards you see people without keyboard you see people with little keyboard you see people with ponytails you see every type of Jew over there going to help to find this little boy, this little Hasidic boy, right? Nobody cared that he wasn't part of the community. Nobody cared that he didn't look like them. Everybody went and said there was one boy missing and we want to do that. And we went and it was, it was unbelievable. We walked with flashlights and you see everybody was walking throughout the entire streets. And I was actually walking near, we was, uh, our search area was, it was a few blocks away from where he was found. And, um, I found it very interesting that I went, when I went in with, with a flashlight, so it was late at night, it was after 8 o'clock at night, or 9 o'clock, and it was dark already, so we're using our flashlights, and we walk into like random people's, uh, you know, backyard, and there were people that were sitting in the backyard once, we didn't even realize it, and we're like coming, we're like loud with our flashlights, searching everywhere, and then there's like, and then we turn around and see there's like two people sitting on the porch, and they're just looking at us, and be like, can we help you? Like, what are you doing over here? And then we're like, oh no, we're just searching for the boy, the boy was lost, and he's like, do you mind? And they're like, oh no, no, for sure, by all means, you know, go ahead, search. You know, when was the last time that you walked into some, go, go to like Ditmas or whatever and walk to someone's backyard and be like, I'm just looking for something. You know, I, I think there was somebody lost over here. I'd be like, either you get out or I'm calling the cops. You're trespassing, right? And we met people on the front porch and we'd be like, do you mind if we go in the backyard? They were like, oh yeah, please. Everybody was loving everybody. Everybody was all hands in hands. You know, just trying to get something together. Why do we have to wait till a bad thing happens till we all come together? Why every time we, bad things happen, we all come together, we forget about it, everybody goes on their own merry way. Right? This should not be. This should not, we should be always together. We should be always, uh, the unity that we should have in Claudius should be for every, the way that we had it in tragedy should be, should be the, all the time. There was, uh, um, you know, the people, some people really misunderstand the word, the, how they do chesed. There was once this righteous person that, uh, somebody came to him and asked charity for him. And this guy happened to be a beggar. And certain beggars have to happen to have this, like, plastic collection that they collect on their body. And uh, they wear plastic. And to say the least, it doesn't smell very nice at all, right? It's just whatever. They, they, they wear like plastic bags on them and it, the BO, it's, it's very bad. So you can smell it like from like a half a block away. So, uh, he goes into, he opens the door and this guy with a bunch of bags was collecting money. And this righteous man goes and, you know, the whiff that came in, he's like, yeah, he takes a dollar and he put, and he says, you know, you know, have a good night. And he goes off and the wife is watching this the whole time. And then, you know, the, the beggar walks about half a block and suddenly, the righteous man stands up from his, he went back into his home, ran, runs out and chases after the beggar. He chases after the beggar and he takes another dollar. He says, no, no, here, take this. And the beggar takes it and, and the righteous man goes home. So the wife says, why are you, uh, you already gave him the money. Why are you giving him money uh, again? And he says, I realized that the first time I gave him money, I didn't give it for kindness. I gave it so I could get him out. He says, that's not chesed. He says, I wanted to give it for chesed. So I ran over afterwards and I gave him money for, uh, for him. Now the question is, why do we mourn, right? Why do we mourn the, the, the temple? What? Okay, something happened almost 2,000 years ago. It was very bad, very sad. I feel a little bad, but why do we mourn, right? Some people think, all right, if I'm able to cry on Tisha B'Av, I am like the Baba Sali. You know, I'm like, you know, anybody wants a blessing. I just cried for the Beth When was the last time, you know, I just, you know, come on, you know, stand back. You know, and people think that people misunderstand the whole point of, of, of Tisha B'Av. And granted, you should cry. You should. We lost, we lost something huge. There was a, the Baal, actually speaking about the Baal Sali, one time the, his, uh, his wife came in, he was, he used to seclude himself in his room at a certain time, and it, it was, uh, in the middle of the night, and his wife accidentally, you know, walked in, he saw him sitting on the floor, leaning over, and he had a puddle 
of, you know, of like liquid of water on, on the floor. And she goes and she wipes it up thinking that he spilled a, um, you know, some, some sort of cup or anything. But then she turns around and there's no cup at his sight. And he looks up, his eyes, he was, he was just crying. He was crying, what was he crying for? Tikkun Chatzot. He was saying, he was crying over the destruction of the Beth HaMikdash. Not on Tisha B'Av, on a regular night. A regular night, he sat on the floor and he started crying because we don't have a Beth HaMikdash. Now why? Why are we crying for the Beth HaMikdash, right? We're coming here, we're, we're, we're mourning, we're fasting, we don't eat, we don't wash, we don't do so many things. But why? Why are we doing these things? So, there was once a, um, you know, there was once a king that had a child. And this prince, as long as he was in the palace, nobody was able to touch him. The second that he was outside of the palace and he didn't have a home, he was kicked out or whatever it was, he was fear game for everybody. Everybody was able to, everybody was able to attack him. When we had the Beth HaMikdash, we were invincible. People were not able to touch us. Right? When we were doing, listening to God, nobody was able to touch us. Now, we don't have a home. Our home is gone. Our home is not America. Our home is not Syria. Our home is not Azerbaijan. Our home is not nothing. Our home is Israel. Right? That's where we belong. We mourn. It's because we don't have a home. It looks like we have a home there. You could go there and there's flourishing, but we don't have a home. And more than that, our Father in Heaven doesn't have a home. Our Father in Heaven is waiting. He says, come on, build me a home. I want to come. I want to come. And we're saying, not yet. You know what you did to me? Oh yeah, you heard that? You know, all, that, all this nonsense that people have the hatred for each other is one of the big reasons why we don't have it. There is, um, you know, there's something very interesting. The, the Jerusalem plays a very, very important role in our life. If you think about it, the most two, even people that are not religious, they usually keep two things, Yom Kippur and Pesach. They'll have something. And if you realize, at the end of both of those things, Yom Kippur, what do we say? At the end, 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 we say, We start singing next year in Jerusalem. On Passover, the Seder, at the end, we sing next also, next year in Jerusalem. Why do we keep on bringing up Jerusalem, right? After somebody gets married, the custom is, is that in certain communities, what they do is, is they take a glass, they step on it, and they break it, right? And then they sing of Imish Kachach if if I forget Jerusalem, let my right hand be forgotten. Right? Why are we bringing in so much? People have built a home. Right? They build a home. They're supposed to leave something a little bit off, a little bit not complete for the destruction. Because we don't. We are, why should we? Why should we have a complete home if we don't have a God? Doesn't have a temple in in, in Israel. Yeah, yeah. For for that, even in your happiest day, we still we're still suffering. We're still suffering because the Beth Hamikdash. We can't build it. No, we have that as synagogue. Yeah. And uh, um, our armies are not what's going to build it, right? And a strong Israeli army, the IDF, is not going to build it, right? Only, God, only we could rebuild it. We could build it with Torah Mitzvot. When we do what we're supposed to do, it's going to come down. What's the world going to look like when the Oh, <laughs> no, very, very good question. <laughs> we'll do a, we'll do a series on that. We'll do a series on that. Bezalel Hashem. There's an answer. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> that Jerusalem is going to be spread around the whole world. Yeah, Jerusalem is going to expand. Not, not anywhere else in Israel, right? No, Jerusalem will, Israel will expand. But just Jerusalem, not like Tel Aviv. No, um, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's probably gonna go into, no, no, no. It's going to, it, the Israel is gonna expand, Jerusalem will also expand. It's a mountain, so there's a lot of room. It's close, like, the borders will be different borders, yeah. Um, you know the organization that, like, prepares Kelim for the Beit HaMikdash? Yeah. Is that allowed? I don't know, there's a lot of things that they do. There are people that go on the Temple Mount, is that allowed? Oh, yeah, they. I don't know. If the people they go in Temple Mount, and they yeah, it's it's they it's. They like they prepare like the menorah, and they prepare all these different. We don't have the menorah, so. Uh, they built one or something like that. No. Uh, that I'm not familiar with. And the glass. 
No, that's no, that's they're, that's they're just uh, if that's real, that's not staying for long, they right? Fundraise money and, and they're like procuring. I, I, I that I'm not sure. I know there are certain organizations that they do a lot of uh, explanations and maybe build replicas, but not that they're building the actual itself. That I'm not familiar with. Um, okay, so he says, uh, you know. There was one somebody went up to the Chafetz Chaim and he said, um, you know, he was going into the Russian army or whatever it was, and he says he wouldn't be able to keep kosher. He wouldn't be able to keep. He wouldn't be able to do anything. He says, "What should I do?" He says, "When you pray, he says, all you make sure what you do is always face Jerusalem." He says, "Whatever you do, because if you, even if you're not in Jerusalem, but you're facing Jerusalem, you're part of Jerusalem, right?" He says, "What well, we might not have Jerusalem anymore, but we have Jerusalem in each one of us, right?" He says the Chafetz Chaim, "We each have this this part inside of us that's that's yearning and earning to get out." And we have to go and and really really make that happen, make that you know make that into a reality. Says the 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 Torah, the Gemara says in Talmud Yerushalmi in Yuma, it says that any generation that the Bet Hamikdash was not built, it is as if as if it was destroyed. So this year, the fact that we don't have a Bet Hamikdash, it's our fault. Not the people so long ago that I told you all those crazy stories, or whatever that they you know it's not their fault. It's our fault that we don't have it today. You know why we mourn? We mourn on this coming Sunday not because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. We mourn on something that happened this year. The fact that we don't have the Bet HaMikdash. And we don't have the Bet HaMikdash because it's our fault. Because we cannot fix that baseless hatred. We still have it amongst other things. But we said we cannot fix the main thing. The main issue is we have baseless hatred and we can't, we can't fix it. Right? So only people we have to blame is us. Right? Some people, somebody once went over to the Kotel and he started crying. And he didn't look religious at all. So they asked him, why are you crying? And he says, I'm crying because I don't know why I shouldn't cry. You know, he says, that, no, I'm sorry. He says, I'm crying because... I don't know why I should cry. He says, I, I, I really, it's a wall. I, I really don't know the difference. You know, it's, it's like, a, and he says, you know, there's some people that they cry, they, they, they feel because of the lack, the lack of understanding, the lack of having anything. There, um, the, the idea is, is that there's so many things that, that, uh, you know, we could do and we don't. And if we would only do that, we would be able to accomplish so much. The, now, I, I said, I said, um, regarding, regarding, uh, um, fixing baseless hatred, right? When you have something that happened that's not good, in order to make it good, you have to fix the bad, right? The same thing goes for an apology. Oh, is, is we have a nutrition essay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, no, okay, fine. So, um, we have, there was a, um, there was once a, there's a, there was a Gemara. There's a Gemara in Baba Mitzia, page 85. That there was a big rabbi, then it was Abi Huda Anasi. Abi Huda Anasi was the one who actually codified the, I didn't codify, I'm sorry, he wrote the, the Mishnah, he wrote the oral law, he put it down into the writing, the first person. Tremendous, tremendous, uh, uh, righteous person. And he had 13 years of tremendous suffering, right? It was, uh, it was like seven or eight uh, years of like, uh, kidney stones, and then he had some mouth disease of, of thrush. Which was, it was extremely, extremely, uh, uh, painful. So painful, he was extremely, extremely wealthy that his, the person that took care of his cattle, they used to feed the cattle every time that he would, that the rabbi would have to go to the bathroom because the rabbi screamed so much from pain that they, they felt bad that they wanted to, to like, you know, for the noise of the cattle eating, hopefully they'll die out the screams. And the people still heard the screams. And this rabbi suffered. Why did he suffer so much? This rabbi, for 13 years he suffered. For 13 years, by the way, it's not like he went partying for 13 years. He, Yom Kippur fasted. He did, he was the biggest rabbi in the world. Why did he fast? Why did he, I'm sorry, why did he suffer? And the reason that the, the Gemara says that he got suffering is because one time there was a cattle that was going to get slaughtered. It was a little calf. And the calf ran under his coat. Basically like, no, don't take me to get slaughtered. Right? And the rabbi pushed him away and says, no, for this is what you were created. He says, for this, he says, what do you mean? You have to have mercy on the, on these animals. What he, he says, for the rabbi who didn't have mercy on this calf, they gave him 13 years of suffering. 13 years of suffering. Yom Kippur didn't help. You know, all the... 
So you have to be careful. On that level, whatever. Who you know, whatever. Who am I to to, to say anything? But he, when did it, when did the suffering go away? What happened was is once uh, that his maid was swe- was sweeping away some rats that were that were in the area. So he says, no, 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 you got to be what do you, what do you, you know? Be gentle with them. You know, they're they're still creations. Here he went and he fixed the issue that he did earlier, which was having mercy on God's creation. The second that that happened, he got healed. No more pain, no more suffering. We have a big suffering, a big gaping hole in our society, and that is a lack of unity. When we fix that, then we could, but then we can see, then we have a Mashiach coming. Then we can have, uh, you know, the 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 salvation, the, the end of days, the finally, that they will come. There is um, any questions so far? Okay, so there is something very interesting. Um, Let's see if we have a few minutes. I want to actually share with you this yeah. final final story. This is that's, um, you know, what's troubling the most is is you have people that it's coming to to the most the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, and people just don't get it. People just don't. They just they'll, they'll you know they know how many people are going to be in Israel barbecuing on Tisha B'av Sunday. What's wrong? Play soccer and go to the beach. Why why summer? Why not enjoy the water? You know how many people you know. Even even in in, our, in in over here in America, you know they don't they don't even understand it, right? I spoke to somebody of something like, uh, well, at least you're going to fast, right? You're 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 going to be able to fast. He's like, oh no, you know, he's not religious. He's like, oh, I can't fast, no way. You know, it's too hard. I need to eat. I need to, I'm going to eat something. If I if I don't, eat, I'll find something to eat. You know, I'm going to eat. And I said, you know, I told him, I'm like, listen. He says, you know, I explained to him one time. Um, uh, you know, I had a, I had a very close friend that passed away, and I think for about two days I didn't eat. I mean, I ate a little bit, but I, was, I no appetite. This is like zero appetite. Well, you know, how do you have an appetite when you lose somebody so close to you, your, your, your life, your whole thing, your whole, everything is whacked. And, you know, afterwards I had to like force myself to eat because I felt like I was starting, I was getting weak. I was like literally shaking. I didn't have, you know, any nutrients. It says we, we're coming into a time when, when, you know, the God's house was destroyed. We shouldn't feel like we want to eat. We shouldn't be getting hungry. We should feel so sad and so, so in such a level that we're like, you know, how could you be hungry? How is it possible that you're going to want to eat on a day like today? And and it's a and it's a big shame, and we need we need to really spread the word out. We need to really, you know, people are don't know what's what the problem really is. We don't really know, uh, you know, whatever. Depressing myself already. It's not a t-shirt bath. All right. So there is. Uh, um, I want to tell you this story. I end off on a on a on a, a better note. That there was once a person uh, by the name of Yaakov Vaslevik, right? For sure, pronouncing it wrong, but let's move with that. He um, he came into he came from um, from Europe to America, and he was not religious. He didn't he, he wasn't taught anything, and uh, so they put him in a in a like young uh, um, you know kids basically to start from the beginning. So he was 15 years old. He started off his first class in yeshiva was with seven year olds, and this kid was so pure he didn't mind it. He learned the alphabet. He learned everything with the little kids without any problem. Right, so a big little kid with you know speaking like this, you know the puberty stage, right? So it's like ah, you know like in the middle of the sentence, right? And everybody else was like, ah, I need to go make pee-pee, you know, and she's like, I'm running away. And, you know, and he's like sitting with all these kids, not a problem, because I'm a learning God. He was such a pure soul. He goes and, you know, about um, uh, the next year, he skipped to sixth grade. And two-thirds after, through the year, he went to seventh grade. And this story is being told by the rabbi that was a teacher of his class. And he says, um, you know, one time he was uh, he was teaching about a certain topic, and he said a certain word, and 
the the you know his, his you know he very innocently the little kid you know the the fifteen year old raised his hand and he says what does that word mean the word was patul patul means exempt and he was explaining the whole the the whole gemara that to this uh, to this person and the person didn't understand it and finally he says what's going on he says he says what does patul I don't know what patul means he says the things that little kids know in from the grew up religious he doesn't know and he felt like so bad and he's like oh it means exempt and you know I kept on apologizing it was my fault I should have explained it and uh, uh, so he he was starting to use uh, you know explain the example it was coming Shavuot and he was starting to use example of Bikurim Bikurim is where you bring the first fruits to the temple now people that live close to Jerusalem would bring fresh fruits because they could bring but people that far away from the Jerusalem the travel was not like by you know car it was like in a few hours you're there it took days so they brought dry fruit so it doesn't spoil so he started using this as a uh, um, he based it off of you know his uh, his story and he says there are there are many people that come from different backgrounds there are many people that come from very religious backgrounds you know and their devotion to God is so pure still no matter how much they're used to it they, they still bring those fresh fruits you know spiritually speaking to God and then there are some people who have nothing. Who they, they're coming in with dry fruits. They're coming in with nothing. But really, those dry fruits are really fresh fruits. They have such a purity, such a, a want to do what God wants. And he says this, uh, uh, this, this amazing story. And he says, uh, this is what the rabbi is still uh, teaching it. Um, he says there was once a king. Oh, uh, it wasn't a king. Sorry, it was once somebody who was very wealthy. He was very wealthy, and the, he, he had a huge palace and a bunch of kids. And the palace burned down to the ground. And uh, the father said, listen, you know, we could build it up, but, you know, we have a bunch of kids. We're going to have to spread you out in a bunch of different places to stay by people's home until we rebuild it, and then we'll bring you back home. And each child went to a certain, uh, you know, different location. Some went far out, some went closer. And each child went somebody else, somewhere else. There was once a girl by the nine years old, whose name was Rochelle. She was very excited to go see her new family, you know, for the, for the next short time. She's like, you know, she's like hoping, she was, she was royalty, you know. She had, you know, fresh pressed clothes every day, the, you know, maids doing her hair. Everything was like pish posh. So she comes, they take her in a carriage and they bring her to this far, far, you know, place where they bring her into, and she's always excited. Okay, what are they going to be? Am I going to have anybody my age to play with? And uh, to her shock, when they bring her into her new home, it was... Anything but that she, what she expected. She, they, it was like a Cinderella story. She made them, you know, go and they, chores every single day. Every single day she would scrub it, the, you know, the floors and she got screaming. And every single night she would think, okay, when is my father gonna come and take me, take me home? And she got, you know, it got to her head so much that she had one dress that she came in that was, that was uh, clean. And it was nice and fancy. So she used to always hang it up. And after she worked that day, she would always put on that dress to always remember what she used to be like. Which, uh, you know, her, her, how, how she used to live. And she would go and untie her hair of all the knots from all the scrubbing and the work that she used to do. And every day she would go and sit, uh, and sit with her, uh, with her, with her chairs. With her dress. I don't know why I said tears. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, it's been a long week. Sorry. Okay. So, um, however, as, you know, and, and when she puts on her dress, she would get so emotional. She would start crying, you know, like, what's going on over here? Why am I suffering so much? And when is daddy going to come and take me home? You know, and finally she gets, she's there. The weeks turns into months and months turns into a year and a year turns into two years. And she's like, when's, when's my father coming? And she doesn't fit in the dress anymore. And there's no way for uh, to her to untangle her hair. Her hair is gone. She, she looks disgusting and she feels disgusting. And, you know, she, she remembered how much her mother used to care for her and how much her father used to always love her as goes to call her daddy's little girl. And, you know, she's kept on wondering, when is this going to end? When is this going to, when is this going to finish? The only time that she had any rest was at night, when she would always imagine what she used to what she used to be like and what she used to have. Finally, after a long wait, a letter came, and it told her come back to the palace. It's been rebuilt, 
And she was thinking, okay, that's awesome, you know. So she gets, she looks in and she's like, I, you know, I can't go like this. Back to my rich family and my palace, it's like, I have nothing. And she's like, all I have is this tiny little dress that doesn't fit me anymore. She says, but I definitely can't go. And she was contemplating what to do. At the end, she decided that she's going to go put on her old dress. And she went, she put on her old dress that, you know, no, obviously no longer fit her. And without any alternative, you know, dirty with the dress, she goes onto the carriage. Once she gets home, once she gets to the carriage, you know, her father sees her for one minute everybody else she sees all the other children coming in with nice clothes they obviously were well taken care of and she comes in with this dirty dress that's ripped and torn and you know busting out of it and her father takes one look at her and she realized you know what what just happened and how much she must have been mis- mistreated so he went over her and if, without any, going straight to her and gave her the strongest hug and held on to her so tightly and would not let go Says he says uh, he, the the teacher says many years ago we had a we were living very peacefully in God's home right we had the temple we were living very peacefully until one day the palace was burnt down and God sent us throughout the entire world scattered throughout all the exile and he says uh, you know some exiles we were treated well some exiles we weren't treated so well he said some places we were able to practice Judaism and other places we were not able to practice Judaism he says but you know we always had that dress. We always had that little dress sitting in that room wondering when I could put that on. Right? There, you know, people are coming in from communist Russia, right? Where there was no way to, to, to follow, you know, religion. But, you know, your great-grandmother had that little dress in her room and she says, if I can't keep it, at least my, my, my children, or maybe my grandchildren are going to keep it. And that was passed on from generation to generation until it finally came to you. And Baruch Hashem today, where you are today, you're able to put on that dress. You're able to go and you're able to practice religion. Right? You are able to go and, and do what your grandmother and your grandparents wanted so much from you, you have the ability to do. This teacher said this over and he looks up and he says, uh, um, you know, and he saw this kid over here and the sitting over here, the 15 year old with tears in his eyes. And he says, uh, Rabbi, what kind of fruit do I bring? What's my type of fruit? And the entire room was silent. The entire room was like, you know, you know, the rabbi says he doesn't even think he, he realizes how much musal this guy just gave the entire, the entire class. And this guy, wiping away, wiping away his tears, he says, he says uh, I have no doubt that your fruit is by far the most precious fruit that it will ever begin. Because your purity and you're willing to serve God regardless of no matter what you, what you go through, you're the top of the line. You're the top of the line. You're the, you're the, you're the mevaka, she explained. You're the one that seeks. She says, we all have the ability to do so much. We all have the ability. Right now we have, we have it. We ha- you know, your great grandparents are looking down at you and they're like screaming, just do it! Keep Shabbat! Do it! Stop! You know, it's like literally just screaming, just keep on doing what you're supposed to do. And they, they, they gain so much by you just, by, by you just doing it. And, uh, unfortunately we have that little dress. We have it. But it stays in that closet. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time that we don't want. We don't want to be fasting Sunday, right? We want Mashiach to come. We want. The, we want the God's presence to come back home. We want Him to rebuild the palace and call us back home, right? In order to call us back home, you got to go and put on that dress. You got to go put on that dress, and you got to start doing what He asks you to do, right? And the number one thing is stop hating other people, right? Stop it. Just stop it, right? Just take it in. Don't worry about other. Don't worry about anybody else. Worry about yourself, right? Everybody leaving this room tonight, and whoever is watching this uh, this shiutua, and whoever is listening to this shiutua, has to take it upon themselves that they remove every single hatred in their heart from any other Jew ever. No matter the reason, even if it's a good reason. And if it's a good reason, it's the, it still doesn't matter. Right? You don't gain anything from hatred. When you hate somebody else, if let's say you're going, and you're walking, 
and you see somebody that, oh, who you hate, yeah, your blood pressure is going up, you know, you're starting to sweat, and you know, and you, nothing more that you want is that person to just drop dead. Like, you really hate that person, right? And that person walks, doesn't even realize you, right? They're driving in the car, listening to their music, singing along, you know, they're enjoying themselves. And you get so, so angry. Oh, like, what happens to you versus what happens to them? Them, absolutely nothing. All your anger did absolutely nothing to them. All it did was ruin your day. It ruined your day. It ruined your, you know, your health. You have stress. You have, uh, you know, high blood pressure. You have who knows what's going on in your body that's causing so many issues now because of that thing. When you have hatred for somebody else, you're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting the other person, right? Let it go. Let it go. Just leave. Let it go. Right? When you come, when you come up, to, up, to, up to heaven, they judge you the way that you judge other people. That's the way you get judged. If you are easy to forgive, you'll be easy to forgive. Right? Everything is measure for measure. It's such an important fundamental that you want to be the most easiest person to forgive. So when you come ask for forgiveness, they're going to do to you how you do to other people. Yeah. Is it just as forbidden to hate non-Jews as opposed to Jews, but not, not hating them? I know we were supposed to hate them for like our Dazara. Right. But, I mean, hatred, like, against someone who wronged you. If it's a non-Jew, is it just as, as a sword? Um, so, there's many things when it comes to non-Jews. Are you allowed to speak Lashon to non-Jews? Are you allowed to do, uh, you know... Generally, there's one nation that we are supposed to obliterate, and that's Amalek. And we don't know who Amalek is nowadays. So, we don't kill anybody. We don't obliterate anybody. The general rule is, is take the hatred out. Once you have hatred, hatred is not good at anything. There are righteous Gentiles. Nobody likes, you know, everybody, th- when you think Islam, what do you think? Terrorists, right? There are some good Islamic people, right? There's some good Arab people, right? There's some righteous Arab people. Listen, they pray to, they don't do serve idol worship. Granted, many, many, most, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot are fanaticals that uh, are going to go to a very special place where there's going to be 72 male virgins <laughs> waiting for them. There's a lot of Shem Hashem should answer their prayers quickly and send them up and down wherever they need to go. And, uh, you know, but, but there are some people that are actually good. They want peace. They want, they, they have a peace, well, there's no peace with them. But I'm saying they want, they want to listen to God. You know, I have people that come into my class that are not Jewish. And I ask them, I'm like, oh, so you have, maybe this is Jewish, or maybe, the, you know, and he's like, no. He's, so I'm like, why are you here? You know? <laughs> and he's like, and he says, and he tells me, he's, on, he's thinking about it. He's telling me, I uh, want to do what Hashem wants me to do. And I have, you have no idea how much respect I have for you. He says, you know, and, but it's a shame. He says, we have, we have Jewish people that don't want to listen to God. No, I don't care what God says. You know, I'll do my own thing. I'll deal with him later. Right? After 120. And then there are these righteous Gentiles. These righteous, righteous people that all they want to do is they want to listen to what God wants them to do. If only, if only we have, granted that most likely that he's, he has a Jewish soul going on inside him. There's many converts that are coming. Um, why did they convert? It's because deep down they always wanted to convert. When the time when the God gave us the, the Torah. And their nation didn't want to accept it. So God says, don't worry, I'll bring you down so that you'll be able to convert. And they're able to convert. But what about someone specific? Let's say, like, not hating a Hitler, whole group, but okay, let's say, Hitler, or just like someone you know personally that did something wrong, like did something bad to you. General rule is don't hate anybody. That's the safest thing. Don't speak lashon hara about anybody. And you say somebody else. But there's so many different rules but, on it. That, okay, that, let's say, do you get honest for speaking lashon hara against non-Jews? I don't know. I have to look at that. I'm not going to answer that. Especially, yeah, yeah. So like, on Tishah we're supposed to mourn for the Beit Hamikdash. So what was life? When the Bittu was there. How was life there? Yeah. Life was uh, like a fairy tale. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Life, first of all, there were so many miracles. When, when you walk into the Bittu Mikdash, you realize that there was, you know, I'll give you an example. The Kuzri, right? The Kuzri says it in chapter 2. Um, okay, the Kuzri says, right? I'll tell you, I, I have it somewhere here. The Kuzri speaks about it. He says, how come the non-Jewish... Uh, um, 
the non-Jewish people in their in their religious, uh, you know, uh, um, whatever, they have all about the next world. Like in the next world, they'll purg- purgatory, or you're going to have, you know, sit with with angels and whatnot. And he says, what happened to, you know, how come the Judaism it doesn't speak about the next world much? Right? It doesn't mention a lot about it. So he's he, the Kuzari answer says that uh, many other religions need to promise about the next world, right? Because why do you, why do they promise about the next world? Because you can't prove it, right? If I tell Listen, if you bow down to this little baby that looks that has a bunch of arms, right, and he's a little bit fat, right, if you, I think I'm merging two religions, but whatever, if you bow down to this Buddha, right, uh, you're going to go to heaven. And they're like, oh, really? Tell me, tell me more about heaven. Oh, it's amazing. There's like fruits, and there's women, and whatever the Arabs decide that it is, and everybody's telling them something that, and why do they tell them? It's very simple. You can't prove me wrong. Yeah, okay, go into heaven and come back and tell me. Yeah, it's a very simple, easy fix. The Torah doesn't work that way. The Torah works by telling you what you're going to get in this world. You listen to God, you're going to get certain things in this world. Not, we're not worried about the next world. We're telling you what you're getting right here and right now. And because we could stand by it. We stand by it. In the time of the Beit HaMikdash, this was easy, easy to see. Easy to see. You walk in there, there was miracles all the time. Miracles nonstop. No flies over there. But how old are you? All the Yudim could go to the Beit HaMikdash or they live far away? Some live far away and, and later on in the second Beit HaMikdash they started moving further away but they, they made pilgrimage every, every uh, three, uh, three times a year. Mm-hmm. They came there. As, you know, the, 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 big problem, the big problem was at the time of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash there was, uh, it was a split. There was Orthodox and there was something called Tzidukim. Tzidukim are people that only listen to the, oral, to the written law. Right? Everything else he said, oh, rabbis made it up. You know? So, uh, and they were, they had a lot of power. And this was, there was a big, uh, you know, fighting between the, you know, the, you know, back and forth on how things should be done. And this is why the end of the second Beth Migdash, there was a lot of things that were not going like God wanted. The thing that broke the, 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 the straw was the baseless hatred, but there was a lot of things that were, that were problematic over there. Because there was, uh, there were people who didn't believe in oral law? Yes, they didn't believe in oral law. There's still people like that today. Not so conservative. Conservative, no, they're very different. Conservative and reform, um, they just decide what they want to listen to. <laughs> as that's funny, they'll be like, "Well, this, eh, I don't like this one." Because so basically, they don't do anything. <laughs> what? No, baseless hatred was 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 brewing. It was brewing. It was it was a uh, it was uh, the, the the thing was with that story. For the, it was a thing. Yeah, I mean, reform and conservative. The people that I blame most about those are the rabbis. The reform rabbis, reform, the conservative rabbis. I mean, you're learning Torah. You know, I've, I've read articles that they, you know, I, I didn't know until later that it was a conservative or reform rabbi. But afterwards, and I'm like, I'm like, you know a lot. You know, Kabbalah centers, right? All these wicked people, right? That they teach Kabbalah. They know, they know the Torah, they know it. But what, what are you doing? What are you, you're perverting it. You're perverting this entire, this, this entire Judaism, right? They use it for their benefit. You think they're going to get reward for the little Torah that they're going? When you have Rabbi Ellen giving a speech on Shabbat for her microphone, um, you know, to, to all her congregation that came in there, you think they're going to get reward for, for, you know, for, for that? While, while they play piano, while they're singing, you know, hallelujahs to the, you know, for the, yeah, come on. I mean, they, they completely pervert the entire system, right? We can't. It's a shame because you know what the problem is. The problem is they don't know. They don't know. No, no, no. They're not Avodah Zarah. Reform people. We're not allowed to go to their. We're not allowed to go into their synagogue, but not because they're nullifying. Yes, but not. Yeah, yeah. So they're Yeah, I guess you could you could maybe branch it off, but the real reason is is because they they pervert the entire thing. And if you if I ask you this, what do you think is worse? Someone's not religious. Someone's reform. Reform. Reform is much worse, right? Not religious is like I believe in God, I just don't want to listen to him. 
know, let me do my thing. Reform is like, no, I believe in God, but yeah, I'm doing what he wants as they eat pork. You know, it's like, no, it's okay. It doesn't count. I'm allowed to turn on a light on Shabbat. It's talking about a fire and back then it was just subjective. You know, I have a whole class on it. I have a whole, you know, explanation in it. And it was we'll do it once. So all the, you know, what's the difference between reform, conservative, reconstruction, is, you know, all those different types of, uh, of things. Any other questions? Yeah, I still don't get, like, what was it? Oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't even answer your question. I, yeah. What? Like, what was it like? The Beth it was, first of all, the Jews were, were, you know how America is nowadays? The Jews were on top of the world power back then. Right, the Jews, uh, at least for the first Beth Amikdash, right, second Beth Amikdash was already under Roman rule, but, uh, we were, we were on top of the world. Like, well, we had power, we had prophets, we had people that prophesied, and they told you that, you know, you know, you came over to, to the Kohen Gadol, you had a question, or things like that, they would be able to answer you. They would answer, there was like no questions that people had. There was, um, there was, uh, uh, you know, besides, besides the fact that you had rabbis that were able to revive the dead. They were able to literally bring the dead back to life. You're talking about a world of full of different, uh, completely unbeknownst to what we have now. If the dead come back to life, why make them dead to begin with? Right? Well, they didn't do that because if God wants them dead, then they stayed dead. But I'm saying they had the ability to. Any 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 person you read in the Gemara had that ability. You know, they had they had a tremendous amount of. You're talking. It's it's like. You can't even compare it to. It's like literally a fairy tale. Like imagine what you have. The amount of miracles that were going on. The amount of uh, um, you know you had a, you had a problem. You went over to the you know to, to the Bet Hamikdash to tell you how to solve the problem. You know at the time of the Chizkiyahu they had uh, before that they had a certain book full of medicine. You didn't need to go doctors. You went over to the rabbi, the, the one over there in charge, and he would tell you what you need to fix and what you need to do. What happened to the book? It was destroyed. No, the hidden. Uh, it was either hidden or destroyed. I think it was destroyed. How do you have problems if you have no questions? <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, you said that if you have a problem, you can go to your mind. You know? Oh, I'm saying that, uh, let's say somebody was, uh, the, some of their foot was hurting them, or whatever it is. Or the thing was, that, or they could have a question and be like, oh, it says this, and no one's able to answer me this question on Torah. This is no problem. They were able to answer it. You're talking about rabbis, you know, tens of thousands of millions times greater than we are today. You know, there's a level of, you know, a level of prophecy is God talking to a person. You know, it's, that's crazy. You know, and it's, it's like, it happens. Like, they tell them what happens in the future, and they tell you what God told them, and it happens. Right? It's not like, you know, like, well, this guy must be making things up. No, it, it's, it's tested. It's, it's like completely, it's like crazy. They should really, like, uh, visualize it with a, you know, I'm not saying there were people flying on brooms, which are also if there was magic. Um, <laughs> but, but it was, uh, when the Mashiach comes, it will be the same thing as the first Batamic Dash, or not? The Mashiach will come, yes. It will be, it will be yeah. even greater. Even greater. Yeah. So this fast, is it like Yom Kippur? Yes, yes, very serious fast. Ask your local Orthodox rabbi, depending on what it is. If you had a baby recently and there's certain things like that, you ask your your local Orthodox rabbi, and depending on the reason, if, <coughs> for example, if you need medicine, you could take certain medicine, and you know, without water. Ask a rabbi for any any particular question. But it's a very, very uh, uh, important fast. Okay? Hazak Bezat Hashem, that we should have this year. We should not need to fast. It's not the that we have the Mashiach coming. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.